It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hoffman-Smith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown presented by Penn State Health. Daniel Gallon's right there. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're looking at Penn State football and National Signing Day, the big story as we uh, approach the midway point of December here. The early signing period kicked off on Wednesday. Daniel, you were incredibly busy documenting what Penn State was up to. And as per you know, what has become the norm for Penn State, there weren't a lot of fireworks involved. This thing developed pretty organically. It flowed pretty much how you thought, you know, you didn't know what sequence these were going to arrive. Although for whatever it's worth, Drew Aller was commitment number one. He was signee number one, which I think you like to see that with your, your with your quarterback. But would you kind of take in as Penn State is locking this class up? 23 signatures here on Wednesday. We'll get to um, one or two that their signatures were not acquired, but let's focus on the 20 for now yeah I mean it was kind of a, a smooth day I mean there weren't a lot of question marks coming into it and it kind of went uh, pretty much as we expected um, as you mentioned Drew Aller was the first one in obviously the way that things kind of work now all these kids just as soon as they can they just send in the paperwork um, and I think kind of the revealing that oh so-and-so came in at 701 so-and-so was in at 707 it feels like that's not really as big of a deal uh, anymore for for certain programs. Um, so I assume that a lot of these were in early and, you know, James Franklin does everything for a reason. This Penn State program does everything for a reason. So I think that you can kind of look at the the symbolism um, of having uh, Drew Aller as, as the first one in, the first one announced, and then also Caden Saunders, who was the first commit in the class, him being the last one um, announced and, and the last one uh, to kind of be be recognized. And then in between you had 21 other guys uh, over about four and a half hours uh, whose signatures came in. Uh, We got to know a little bit through the Penn state signing day live stream. And it was just kind of a a very smooth day. I mean, it was kind of the the hashtag as expected. Um, There was just kind of a a question of uh, the order as opposed to who or what or where. Uh, what did you learn about like uh, a kid or two that you didn't know going in? Because, you know, like they're, they're you, you don't get the chance to interact. You're just observing what's going on there, but you do get to hear a few things. And I do have a couple notes of my own, but what anything stand out in those interactions between James Franklin and these, and these signees. Yeah. It was kind of a, a good look at kind of the the personality that some of the kids have and kind of how they handle themselves on kind of that very public stage um, because they're, up on a big screen uh, in front of the Lash building weight room, which is filled with coaches, staffers, uh, other luminaries. And then it's also being broadcast online. 
over all these different platforms. So there is an audience and it's kind of fun to see who was at ease um, around James Franklin, who was at ease in front of the camera. Um, I thought defensive tackle Zane Durant uh, from Lake Nona, Florida, he's a three-star. I thought he had uh, a pretty, pretty funny personality. Um, He said he wants to, I think, be a food science major. And part of the reasoning was that he likes to eat. Um, And so it was just kind of fun to see that, um, just kind of see the parents. And it was just kind of a, a good reminder after kind of the the past year and a half of just kind of seeing names on paper, looking at stars, numbers, highlights. Um, obviously, I'm not as enmeshed in the day-to-day recruiting, so I don't, I don't know these kids that well. But it was kind of cool to see a reminder of how big of a deal this day is. The, the driver family had a very emotional moment. Um, that I thought was pretty cool. And it's just kind of a, a reminder that this is a, this is a really big deal and it's uh, it's kind of fun. And they're real human beings who are making a real life decision. Sometimes you get caught up in the soap opera of it or the commitments and decommitments and targets and stars that you kind of lose sight of. And it's just sports in general that these are, you know, 17 and 18 year old kids who are making a life decision and making that and putting that signature on, on paper, Christian Driver was a good one because, you know, between, you know, when we last really talk about these guys as commits or whatever to now, there is some new information, I think, that comes up along the way. And and for a couple of these guys, you weren't sure whether when they're listed as athletes, where are they going? What are they doing? And that was a little bit of information that came out with both Christian Driver and Makai Flowers. Yeah, both of those uh, players were announced as defensive backs, um, where I think 247 had kept driver listed as a safety. Um, I think at one point flowers was listed as a wide receiver. Then you got the athlete tag and obviously, you know, they're top tier athletes. And then a lot of these guys, you you bring them in and you can kind of figure out what to do with them later. Um, But it was interesting to hear what James Franklin said about that kind of about how uh, I think that in driver's case where, driver said he wanted to play wide receiver, but then about halfway through the year uh, kind of approached them and was like, I'll, I'll play defensive back. Um, and I think he said he had a similar conversation with flowers uh, in terms of what they're going to do at the next level. And I think that that kind of shows the the openness and communication and then the, some of the the trust in the coaching staff um, in terms of I'm willing to, to kind of take this, this leap that isn't my necessarily my initial want, but, after thinking it over, communicating, I, I trust you to, to put me in the best position to succeed. And I think that that's kind of, that kind of stood out to me as, as that dynamic of things. And I think in this day and age, modern college football was with more options for players than ever before. It is not in a coach's best interest at all to just say whatever is going to get a kid to commit, whatever's going to get a kid, kid to, to sign. If you don't have that transparency and back and forth, that can be a really difficult thing that sends a kid like Christian Driver running. If you promise him he's going to play wide receiver and then you change your mind after he gets on campus. So I think that was a, a real look behind the scenes uh, in terms of how that works with the kid, how that process goes when he has a certain desire and how you kind of meet halfway. But you did know that there was a group of maybe three or four of these guys who were either listed as athlete or who were capable of playing both wide receiver or defensive back. I think it does offer some clarity now 
you know, especially with that safety position, a little bit of a work in progress and some some things still out there hanging in the balance with Jair Brown, for example, and, you know, Keaton Ellis and, and what the future holds for, for those guys. But to get those, uh, you know, flowers and driver as defensive backs, you know, it looked like they were both going to be better at those spots. They were especially enough athletes that they could have been wide receivers, could have been safeties, could have been returned guys, maybe Two or three of those options are still on the table, but getting guys who are six foot one and 190 pounds who are flexible is a good spot to be in. Yeah, Franklin referenced that down the road, one or both of those guys could potentially see time at wide receiver. Obviously, we saw them play Marquise Wilson both ways um, at, at various times this year. And then Franklin also mentioned the, their capabilities of being return men and in special teams. And I think given what the numbers are uh, at safety right now, after Tyler Rudolph and Enzo Jennings entered the transfer portal, um, I think that this is kind of a, it, it's a, it's a big win in terms of roster construction for Penn state that you can bring these guys in and they'll be able to to step in as, as at least depth there early on in their careers. Philadelphia linebackers is another theme, I think, in this class. Keon Wiley, Ken Talley, Abdul Carter, three pretty different guys who are different areas of the spectrum. Abdul Carter is enormous. He reminds you a little bit of Brandon Smith. He's six foot four. He's a, a long linebacker, but he's a true linebacker. And then I think Keon Wiley and Ken Talley maybe both spent some time as edge rushers who will grow into that linebacker role. Uh, I know um, Manny Diaz spoke for the first time, and I think he said that that Abdul Carter was the first kid that he watched on film and really jumped off the page and said, this is why I'm coming here. But those guys, I mean, I I think having that that sort of Philadelphia toughness in that one position group will be a fun thing to follow over the next few years. Yeah, you look at where they added um, players on the defensive side of the ball and and linebacker stands out and the the edge rusher stands out with tally. Um, You kind of look at, uh, what Penn State is is losing and what they have on their roster. Uh, Franklin made a reference to Penn State losing some, quote, big-time linebackers. What that actually means, who that actually is, remains to be seen. There's a couple guys that could leave for, for different reasons. Um, so that group could look pretty different um, next year. And then with Ed Rusher, um, obviously there were some depth issues there after Adisa Isaac uh, got injured and then you brought in Arnold Evacetti, who seems like he he'll move on um, after the great year that he had. So you got to replenish those numbers and Philadelphia toughness isn't the worst way to go about that. 23 guys sign one Andre Roy. We'll touch on him. Did not sign with Penn State. He flipped uh, and and chose Maryland. Tyrese Mills, speaking of safeties and and looking at that position, did not sign. Um and but but says he plans to sign in February, and then you know obviously another piece of this will be that February signing period, the transfer portal, and James Franklin did assess that there would be maybe some more movement on a few of those fronts, including the offensive line, using those other avenues. Yeah, definitely. Twenty four seven Sports reported that I think Tyrese Mills said that it was just kind of some some paperwork uh, between the school between the schools uh, coming over from Lackawanna. So that seems more as a as a footnote. But yeah, I mean, I think that the roster tweaking never stops. We don't know who's leaving, who's coming back yet. We've already seen some opt outs from Arkansas, and we've already seen some um, guys say that they're coming back um, as we get ready for the bowl game, but. James Franklin and Penn State is kind of keeping that uh, a little closer to the vest. Um, James Franklin will say that he wants he wants his players to be able to make the decision um, on their own timeline, but that kind of leaves leaves things a little bit up in the air. But 
Um, I think that we'll have a little bit more of a clear idea of who's leaving, who's coming back, um, who's transferring. And then that'll kind of, I think, make the picture a little bit clearer as to what are these positions that Penn State needs to add at, who is still left in the transfer portal. We saw a lot of big names come off the board um, in the past couple of days. Uh, James Franklin made a a little little aside um, about how, you know, like, wow, these guys already know where they're going to go and we haven't even had the chance to evaluate them yet. Um, so make of that what you will, but we'll see. This kind of never stops. Uh, guys are going to leave in January. Guys are going to leave in spring football and uh, everything I think will, will, will shake out um, over the next couple months. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. There were a few coaches, and I probably even missed some, who who talked about the new look of this process and name image likeness and Dabo Sweeney saying, you know, that there's tampering going on, which I think that's maybe a, a more direct and blunt way of, of putting what James Franklin was alluding to when he said, well, they already know where, where they're going. Jimbo Fisher talking about, well, you know, name image likeness deals were happening before name image likeness came around. I mean, there is, it's a new era here and, and it's just the era I think of chaos is what, is what you're looking at money and, and deals and NIL and the portal and, and different timing of, of guys coming and going and not knowing James Franklin is still trying to get a handle on his own roster, let alone getting out there and being proactive and trying to evaluate guys. But even though some are off the board and kind of knew where they were going before they even entered the transfer portal, there's going to be a whole bunch of names here over the next few months. And some even late in the process going into the spring that if Penn State is shopping for options, they should be able to find a few that that fit what they're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that when Penn State brought in Arnold Avocetti and Derek Tangelo last year, it was just kind of, okay, this is this is nice. Um, with Avocetti, it was a big, um, well, he's got to make the step up to the Big Ten. You know, he, he did this at Temple. Can he do it at Penn State? And with Tangelo, it was kind of, well, this guy's just been solid um, for, for his career. I, I kind of viewed him as solid, but unspectacular. Um, and then both of those guys ended up making big plays for Penn State over the course of the season. I mean, Ebiketti making big plays from week one to week 12 um, with very little letting up. So you really never know until these guys get on campus, until they start getting developed. And it, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a little chaotic, but I mean, it, it's player movement. These kids got to go where they think they'll have the best opportunity and and you adjust the coaching staffs. They have enough personnel. They, they have enough. They know, they know more than me. Um, so I, I think, impossible, Daniel, impossible. <laughs> I say, I don't, I don't have much sympathy for, for Dabo Sweeney uh, and what he's going through or, or adjusting to poor guy. Yeah, I, I I don't either. He he is um one of the least, in my opinion, sympathetic figures in all of college football because there's always a rant like this for Dabo. You made a pretty a good observation, I thought, about Maryland football. It's a program that you know well and and you've seen I think both in terms of recruiting and in terms of the product on the field, you've seen some cycles with this Maryland program where 
you know, oh, are they, they're turning the corner. And you mentioned it in terms of recruiting yesterday. And I think each season, it seems like when they're 3-0 and or 4-0, and it's like, okay, finally, all the pieces are coming together for Maryland. And then they, and then they don't. But on signing day, they managed to get Andre Roy, the offensive tackle, um, from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore to flip. Uh, the surprising angle with that was that USC was his visit over the past weekend, and, and people are watching and thinking, okay, is Andre Roy going to commit to USC? It looked like he was going to flip. It looked like his commitment wasn't solid. And then when Penn State shows up with their board and there are 23 lines on it and there are 25 kids at that point committed, you knew something was probably up. Uh, but Maryland was not the expected school. Uh, and then a little bit later, Jay Sean Barham, who was a South Carolina commit, commit also from St. Francis Academy. He was a Penn State target once upon a time. He flipped from South Carolina to Maryland, and then you know the same old story uh, starts to unfold. Okay, Mike Loxley, this is it. The recruiting, it, you know, the, these are huge. This is, and so you know, I don't really buy into either one of those narratives. I'm always in wait and see mode with Maryland until we see something. But you know, there was more to the Barham commitment. What's just your thought on Maryland the day that the day that they had and and where they are as a program and then yeah obviously your thoughts on Jay Sean Barham and what Shane Beamer said was the situation there yeah um, I guess I'll, I'll do my, my my full disclosure is that my my Maryland diploma uh, is is hanging up over there you got Juan Dixon uh, right over my right shoulder um, I'm an alum covered Maryland football for a year for the Baltimore Sun in 2015 so seen a lot and just kind of uh ambiently uh absorbed a lot over the past couple of years but a reporter from the Diamondback uh my uh my former student newspaper tweeted out some screenshots of younger recruits in the area you know along the lines of oh is Maryland the move now is this kind of is this kind of where we go and that's on the heels of Roy flipping and Barham flipping which is two two big gets out of Baltimore, out of St. Francis, which is no longer even really a Maryland area power. It's a national power now with kind of how that program is run. Um, and then Maryland also flipped uh, running back Ramon Brown from Virginia Tech and then a four-star local wide receiver named Octavian Smith um, committed, I think, later in the day. And I think he was one of the the top players in Maryland. So it was a pretty, I mean, it was a good day uh, for Maryland. And that's what Mike Oxley does. He's the, he is the guy in that area in DC and Baltimore. Um, he's known as a good recruiter. And, and this is what you kind of get um, out of that. I think that you can't really argue with some of the results. You look at Rakim Jarrett um, being in there, getting him to flip from LSU. So um, it's not really a surprise. I think uh, Alex Kirshner, my former classmate and uh, friend, had an had an observation that it's kind of entertaining following Maryland football because every year Mike Loxley flips a couple guys, and fans of that of the former uh, school can just can't believe that someone would be able to flip someone from their school to Maryland. Basically, what I was the point I was making on Twitter yesterday is that we've we've kind of seen this happen before. Um, I was a student in 2012 uh, when Stefan Diggs committed, um, and that class also featured Wes Brown, who was a four-star running back with significant Ohio State interest and a couple other uh, local guys. And so that was supposed to be all right. Uh, this is the I forget if it was called the movement at that point yet, or or if that was later. Um, and that was supposed to be the thing that sustained the momentum. Um, and then that eventually petered out. The bottom falling out of that was uh, when Randy Edsel was, fi- was fired. Mike Loxley wasn't retained. 
Dwayne Haskins and Keandre Jones uh, flipped from Maryland to Ohio State. But that class of 2016, there were three Dematha kids in it. And I was like, okay, this is where this is where it's going to be. This is when it'll get going again. Um, and obviously there's a lot of external factors that going that go into that and with Maryland not really being the most stable situation. But it was just kind of a, a little bit of a sense of deja vu where it was like, all right, this is happening. These these younger kids, all right, like this is this is going to be the place to be. You just kind of got to wait and see. I mean, if Mike Loxley actually does spin this forward um, and makes it makes Maryland a destination and keeps all those DMV kids home. Great. I mean, that'll make things a lot more interesting in the Big Ten East, both in terms of recruiting and the on-field product. But I do think that a lot of it comes that comes down to the on-field product. Um, Maryland's in a bowl game for the first time since 2016, which is a big deal. And, you know, winning helps everything um, in a lot of ways. Winning helps on the recruiting trail. Uh, winning helps in terms of bringing more money into the program. Goes from there. So that was kind of the an interesting observation. And I mean, even with these additions, Maryland still had the number eight ranked class in the Big Ten, number 28 nationally. They're behind Rutgers. They're behind Iowa. There's still a long way to go. And then you look at the in-state recruiting. I saw a graphic that Mar- from one of Maryland's SIDs that I think they had commitments from four of the top 10 prospects in Maryland. I don't know which rankings those were, but the number one player in Maryland, Denied Anna Sutton, went to Penn State. The number two player in Maryland, uh, Derek Moore, uh, defensive tackle from St. Francis, he went to Michigan. So it's one of those things where obviously this takes a lot of time, especially at a program like Maryland that is in such a tough division and has a lot of competition. But it was an interesting, interesting case of deja vu as someone who knows too much about Maryland football. Um, it kind of stuck in my head a little bit as I was uh, trying to take a break from work. <laughs> I think it says a lot about you know, Michael Oxley and Maryland and what they do well and what they don't do well, that they weren't further established with these Maryland guys in all the days leading up to national signing day that they, they jump in with some sizzle there and they, and they flip and they, and they do the job. But I think some of the things that are missing there that, that have to come together yet are things like the, the boring stuff, like roster management and organization and team discipline, all the stuff that actually gets you wins on the field. Like he's shown, I think they, they've got a pretty wide base of talent now. That ta- base of talent has grown. They've gotten more splashy guys. But what are you going to do with it remains the question, and it'll stay the question until until all that changes. But nice job for Maryland there. It's a good segue into the Big Ten recruiting rankings that you put together for Penn Live on uh, Thursday. There was, at some point until later in the day, a clear division between the East and the West. Number one through seven were, that were uh, in, in terms of Big Ten class rankings, were East division teams, and number eight through 14 were West. Iowa disrupted that a little bit and sent Maryland down to number eight. But the, the point remains that there's a lot of discussion about the East and it being powerful and the West being multiple steps behind. And when you look at the 2022 class rankings, even though it wasn't quite as clear cut, you still see pretty much the same thing. The East is out recruiting the West. They're out playing the West. And that cycle is going to go on and on and on until things like national signing day flip around and the West starts to make a bigger splash. Yeah. It was kind of interesting to go through the rankings and, um, I do those monthly. So I kind of, you kind of get a bead on, on where things are. And I mean, it's usually not that much different. All the, it's like 
there'll be a surprising team at number four, or number five. And that's where you'll be like, Oh, like Maryland's number five this year or this month or, Oh, Nebraska's up there right now. Um, Oh, Iowa is, is up here, but the top three is always um, some version of Ohio state Penn state, Michigan. And so, yeah, I mean, I saw that graphic going around um, on, on Twitter and I wasn't really surprised um, by it. It's just kind of, you look at the talent on the field and you look at, um, kind of which programs and how those programs operate, it kind of, it, it makes sense. One of the arguments for kind of keeping this divisional setup would be, was that, oh, this is just, it's cyclical. Like things will cycle out and there will be uh, years where the Big Ten West is the, is dominant or something along those lines. And there will be years where Ohio State might be down or Michigan might be down. And while Michigan State, Penn State, and Michigan have, have all had kind of some down seasons since this divisional setup came to be. Um, Ohio State hasn't, um, and that kind of is what looms over everything. So it was just kind of, uh, you know, I think Iowa has a couple interesting prospects. Um, they signed a, a four-star safety uh, who's the number one player in Iowa and a top 50 player nationally, and we saw what Iowa defensive backs can do this year. And they also signed a four-star defensive end, I think, or defensive lineman, who's the number two player in Iowa. And he'd been committed to Iowa since June 2019, which is a very, very long time. Um, And we've seen what Iowa can do with defensive ends or defensive linemen. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the the nature of the beast in the Big Ten right now. You know, you you think that power can be cyclical and this and that, but you know, Wisconsin, they want what they want on the recruiting trail, and they're not really that concerned about four or five stars. You know, they, they want guys who fit their system. Minnesota has that P.J. Fleck, plucky, row-the-boat attitude, and that's the kind of prospects they go after. Iowa is the most traditional and stagnant, and you know, for better or worse, you know, <laughs> what, what, what they're trying to do and what they're looking to accomplish and the results on the field have been the same for two decades. The way that they're recruiting isn't going to change much now. They're going to get a few guys, and, and that's it. But you, know, you look at the, the West programs, they're kind of stuck in terms of who they are. And the, the, the idea of this big dynamic shift happening, I just don't really believe it until something big changes. These recruiting rankings have been kind of the, the staple of one of my I, I guess one of my staples at Penn Live the whole time I've been working here. And it's kind of you get you get the formula down where Northwestern is going to be all three stars, maybe one or two four stars. Uh Wisconsin had a pretty big outlier year last year. I think they had, I mean they got Nolan Rucci, um, who's the the big time offensive lineman. Um, and they're a class where at the top there will be uh, you know, one or two four star, five star offensive lineman types, because of course. Usually the number one player in Wisconsin happens to be an offensive tackle who is going to play for the Badgers, go figure. But then it'll just be a bunch of three stars um, from the Midwest. Minnesota, another one of those schools that's usually top to bottom three stars. That translates uh, into into what we see on Saturdays during the season. You got to be extraordinary with development to try to cycle up with those three stars. Uh, When you get the, and and three stars can win without a doubt, but four and five stars give you a little bit of margin for error if if things don't go perfectly for you. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, the early signing period. We'll be talking about recruiting here all the way through February and all through the off season too, because the class of 2023, that's an ongoing process. And it's an always an ongoing process, uh, including the transfer portal as well. 
That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith for this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Check out Daniel on Twitter as we go through the 2022 and 23 recruiting classes at Daniel JT Gallon. Everything we do is on penlive.com slash Penn State football. Check us out on the Blue White Breakdown. Daniel, myself, Bob Flanders, David Jones. They're on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue White Breakdown, and we'll see you next time. This is the Blue White Breakdown.